All right. Man, that's, I do remember that story. If you didn't tell it, I was going to tell it. I was going to tell it a little different. Is this on? Y'all hear me? Good? Yeah, good. Hey, I'm John. Like you said, uh, I pretty much said, yeah, church planning is like doing a startup business plus spiritual warfare. So don't do it unless God's telling you to do it and then absolutely do it, but probably don't. Unless he's telling you, and, and that's a, I just, I learned this term just recently. A friend was telling me that's called stress testing. You put the stress on someone because it, I mean, I'm telling you, it, listen, if God's not calling you to ministry, if God's not calling you to play, don't. It's miserable. But if he is, then do. Absolutely. And I'm very thankful that, uh, that clarity and the spirit was with you, and here we are, and what a gift to be here. Uh, so like you said, my name is John Ludovino. I'm one of our pastors over at Midtown Downtown. Just finished preaching over there, hopped over here. So glad to be with you. It is always a gift when I get to uh, preach with our Two Notch family. I love you guys. I got I to gotta get my mind right. I got to expect the responsiveness. I'm going to prepare for that. It's going to be great. Uh, we got a banger this morning. It's one of my favorite stories in uh, the series and in the Bible, and uh I'm really just hopeful and prayerful that this is going to do work in our souls this morning. So I'm going to have to move at times because we've got a lot to get through. But uh, is there, are there time limits here? I can just go hours. All right. Sounds great. No, there's a timer in the back. It's all right. Take your time. All right. I'm going to pray and we'll dive in. Father God, thank you so much uh, for these people, for this moment, for this church family, for all the different individual stories represented in this room, all the different weeks that got us here today for your love, for your grace, for your wisdom, for your sovereignty over all of it, over all of our lives and over our community. And God, I'm just trusting and believing that it's not an accident. Any one of us is in the room this morning. I pray that I would serve these people well and that your word would serve us well and that you would push where you need to push and that you would shape where you need to shape us, that you would call us out of shame, hiding, sin, inadequacy, fear, anxiety, that you would you would do some healing work in our souls this morning, and, and not just in this morning, but in the rest of today and in this week, and that your word would stick with us, and that in our conversations, you'd continue to bear fruit and flesh these ideas and, and your truth out in our lives. And pray that in your holy and blessed name, Jesus, amen. Amen. All right, grab your Bibles, flip open to Genesis 29. We're continuing in our Ghosts and Ancestors series. We've been, the last couple weeks, we looked at uh, two famous twin brothers, Jacob and Esau. Uh, That's one of my favorite stories, too. They're all my favorites. Don't tell anybody. Uh, But no, for real, these are some of my favorites. With Jacob and Esau, I kind of relate to both of them because I'm like big and my beard's kind of red, so I relate to Esau, like big and hairy. But then like like Jacob, I got like some deep insecurities and like really always connected with my mom and never really felt like a man's man in some ways compared to my peers. I love that one, but we're not talking about that one today. Today, we're shifting to two sisters, Leah and Rachel, and we're going to focus on the older sister, Leah. So where we're picking the story back up in Genesis 29. Here's what's just happened. Uh, Jacob has just stolen Isaac's blessing. Y'all remember that? He dressed up in the Esau costume, clown costume, put hair on his arms, faked out blind old Isaac, stole his father's blessing. Esau wants to murder him. Mama Rebecca's like, run, buddy, get out of here. Get out of town. Go to Laban's household. My brother Laban, he'll take care of you. You'll be safe from Esau's wrath. Jacob goes running gets there, it's far distance, he gets there, first thing, falls head over heels for Rachel. I mean, crazy in love, mostly emphasize the crazy, crazy in love, 
And now he's been living with Laban for a month, working as a shepherd, and that's where we're picking up the story. We're going to focus on Leah's story. I'm going to read a big chunk to you. We're going to break it down into three parts of Leah's story. All ready? All right, here we go. Verse 15. Then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Verse 16. Now Laban had two daughters. Okay, pause right there. Sometimes the way the story gets told is telling you something. He just asked Jacob, what shall your wages be? The next sentence is, he had two daughters. It doesn't say it explicitly, but the implication is Laban is putting forward his daughters as potential wages for Jacob. And that's jacked up. Let's keep reading. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel. Not really. It's, a, it's not a good love. It's a messed up love. We keep going. Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. I don't know if Ann already told you this, but this is crazy. And what I mean by that, seven years, just blurts it out. Seven years for Rachel. The cultural normal practice, but the cultural norm in their day was less than two years. He just comes out of the gate more than tripling it. What's the cost for that car? I'd like to pay you more than triple in cash right now. Why? Don't. You don't have to. Chill, dog. He's seven years for Rachel. Verse 19, y'all pay attention to this. We'll come back to it. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. Verse 20, so Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Translate, because he was crazy. Verse 21, then Jacob said to Laban, y'all, this, this part. Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So, this, uh, yes, right? Those seven years might have felt like a few days, but we impatient now? And I'm telling you, I got daughters. I have daughters. Any young man said this to me. I'm, say bye. You never finding him again. I'm starting a prison ministry if you do. He's dead. I What? But not Laban, because he's scheming. Here we go, verse 22. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. He's preparing a wedding feast. This will be a seven-day-long festival for them. That'll show up in the text in a minute. But in the evening, he took his daughter, Leah. That is not a typo in your Bible. That's the wrong daughter. He took his daughter, Leah, and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban... No, no electricity, wearing veils. Don't know if it was a dry wedding or not. We don't know. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, understatement in the entire Bible, biggest understatement. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Deep dig at Jacob's deepest insecurities. No, I don't know if you know how we do it in our parts, but we don't bless the younger before the, before the older here. Because Laban knows. He knows Jacob dressed up in the Esau costume to steal the blessing. He knows. He's digging at him. Y'all, Jacob is conniving. He's a trickster. He's JV. Laban is varsity. 
This man, he's a bad man and not in a good way. It's not done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Verse 27, complete the week of this one and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. It's fine. Finish this wedding feast, we'll have another one. You can marry both. Just gotta work for me another ridiculously long time of seven years, 28. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant, Bilhah, to be his daughter, to his daughter, Rachel, to be her servant. Now we're gonna switch a little bit in the next verse. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. Because he's crazy. Verse 31, shift. We're focusing on Leah from here on out. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, now this time. If you like to write in your Bible, I would just maybe circle now this time. No, it ain't. But she thinks it will. Now this time, my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, this time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah, and then she ceased bearing. Let's break Leah's story down into three parts, all right? I'm going to give you the outline right up front, and then we'll just walk through it. Part number one, Leah's lot in life, the cards she gets dealt. Leah's, part number two, Leah's solution to her lot in life. Part number three, Leah's salvation. That's going to be my favorite part, just so y'all know, right up front. Part one, Leah's lot in life. All right, let's just consider where Leah comes from. We meet Leah as one of Laban's two daughters in verse 16. Now, Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. So we don't learn a lot about these sisters right out of the gate, except there's a distinct contrast between them, right? Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful. Okay, so what's interesting is you go as you study this, we don't know exactly what Leah's eyes were weak means. Different translations, some will say she was soft or tender-eyed. Some will say she had delicate eyes. Some say she had broken eyes. We don't know exactly what that phrase means. It doesn't get used in other places in the Bible. Here's what we know it's not talking about. It's not talking about her eyesight. It's not talking about her vision, okay? It's not saying that Leah couldn't see very well because if that's what it was saying, it would say, Leah was weak-eyed, but Rachel could see for miles. Eyes of a hawk on that Rachel got 20-20 vision. Better, no, no glasses for Rachel. That's not what it says. It's talking about Leah's appearance. It's contrasted with Rachel was beautiful. So we don't know exactly what it was, but in some way, the text is telling us she's got some kind of eye condition that affects her overall appearance. And the way the scripture tells it to us, it's a big enough deal that you need to know it as you're introduced to her. This is not a small issue in her life. Her appearance is affected. Her life is affected. Now it gets worse. Her younger sister, Rachel, is gorgeous. The text says she was beautiful in form and appearance. So in the original language, the word form is a word that has to do with her body, her shape. The word appearance has to do with her face. It's an ancient way of saying she's a knockout. She's stunning. And I bet that's gonna be really easy for Leah with the whole eye affecting face issue 
But that'll be nice and easy for her to every day wake up and see her gorgeous little sister, Rachel. There will be no envy involved in these sisters, no sibling rivalry whatsoever. They'll be fine. I do this sarcasm thing sometimes. Y'all, y'all keep up. You're good. And it gets worse for Leah. Along with having a, an issue that affects her appearance, along with having a gorgeous younger sister, Rachel, her name is also a bit unfortunate. So we, we saw this with, with Esau and Jacob, that, that their names and the meaning of their names meant a ton to them. It was not just a name. It was like almost a spiritual prophetic thing about their identity and who they were. But I also need you to know um, some of their naming conventions were very strange. For instance, Laban takes an agricultural approach to naming his daughters. Here's what I mean. Rachel, the, the name literally comes from the Hebrew word for you, E-W-E, a, a, a female sheep. Just fine, I guess. I guess a baby female sheep could be cute enough. I wouldn't, but whatever, that's fine. You know, whatever. With Leah, not so good. Leah most likely comes from a cognate word that means wild cow. That's the right response. No, thank you. Listen, this is not what we're talking about today, but pro tip for the parents in the room. When you name your kids, like I don't care if you care about the meaning too much like they did, but, but it's got to pass the middle school test, all right? That kid's got to go to middle school. Don't do that to them. Laban looks at his daughters. Look, at best, he's like, my daughters are valuable to me like my livestock, which is a weird connection, but okay. What? He's a businessman, maybe. That's at best. But then he goes, and this one is like a beautiful little baby sheep. Rachel, and this one is like a wild heifer. No! Don't you do that to that young girl. That's not okay. There's one other option. Maybe you're thinking that can't be it. He did not name his daughter Wild Cow. He did. But there's one other option. It's also possible that Leah comes from the Hebrew verb that means to be wearied, grieved, and worn out. So maybe Laban has a kid and goes, yeah, that's kind of a burden. I'm worn out by this kid. And it's not just, y'all, it's not a joke because this ends up being prophetic for Leah's life as we'll continue to see. She doesn't measure up to her sister in the, in the appearance department. Her name is a bit unfortunate. Now let's consider the men in Leah's life. I'm intentionally censuring on Leah today. I don't think she gets enough airtime. Let's consider the men in her life. We'll start with her dad, Laban. Laban is a shrewd businessman at best. He, he's really, he's a con man. I mean, he's a shyster. So here's what happens. After a month of housing his nephew, his nephew, this is his nephew, his nephew Jacob, he's been housing him for a month, and it comes to his mind that he can solve two problems with one solution. What are the two problems? Number one, he can make a ton of money, and as a businessman, that's all he cares about. That's always the problem, bottom line. Problem two that he can solve at the same time is he can offload his burdensome daughter, Leah, with her unattractive appearance, he can be rid of her. He can pass her as a problem on to someone else. I don't know if you caught this or not. I, I tried to point it out, but look back at the text in verse 18. It said, Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Pay attention to what Laban says in verse 19. This is fascinating. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. I'd like you to note something interesting about um, what Laban said in response. He doesn't actually say yes. Did you catch that? 
He goes, well, it's better that I marry her to you than anyone else. That kind of sounds like a yes. It implies a yes. It's not a yes. Laban sets it up so he can always come back to Jacob and say, ah, sorry, Jacob, you didn't read the fine print. It's actually what he does. When Jacob freaks out the day after his wedding to Rachel, he comes to him and says, why do you deceive me? He says, oh, I think you misunderstood. That's not our custom. I never even agreed to that. Jacob is JV trickster. Laban is varsity. This is a bad man. I'd like you to imagine what it would be like to grow up with this kind of man as your father. I'm not sure this was a pleasant childhood for Leah. An unethical trickster, stickler for words, always catching you in loopholes. Some of y'all don't have to imagine this is what your dad was like. And then we come to this moment and her dad's plan to offload her. Think about the plan. Don't think about it like a Bible story you've heard a lot before. Think about it as a real situation. And not just the shocking part, like how did the logistics of how did they do the switch? That's crazy too. But think about how did he enact the plan in the first place? Like at some point, Laban came to his daughter Leah and said, here's what we're gonna do, honey. I'm gonna trick this man, my nephew, for seven years and you're gonna be the punchline of my deception. That sound good? How dehumanizing, how embarrassing for her. That's messed up. I don't know how he brought it up with her. I don't know how he broached the topic. I don't know how she didn't say, nope, no thanks. We're not doing that. She didn't have no choice. That's right. That's what kind of man this is. That's what kind of culture this was. It's messed up. It's painful. No, it's bad. No little girl ever dreamed of this wedding. No little girl wants her dad to approach her and say, hey, we all know you're not really a looker. We got to come up with a scheme and a plot to get rid of you. I got it. It's brutal. The Bible pulls no punches on how brutal this story is for Leah. It keeps going. Verse 25, verse 25 is brilliant prose describing a terrible reality. Verse 25, and in the morning, behold, it was Leah. What a, what a painful set of words. Behold, Leah. Behold, Jacob, you're married now, but it's Leah. How, oh, how awful. What a, what a terrible honeymoon. Can you imagine? You wake up the morning after your wedding night, your husband looks at you and gasps at the sight. How shameful. Feel that with her. How terrible. His next move is, I'm taking you back. I'm, I'm, we're going back to your dad. I'm trading you for the pretty one. Talk about pushing on a raw wound for Leah her whole life. She knows she's not the pretty one. That's his response. I'm going to trade you in. Leah's dad, Jacob, isn't great. Her husband, I mean, her dad, Laban, isn't great. Her husband, Jacob, isn't great either. There's no evidence in the text that he's empathetic to her or tries to love her. The text says he hates her. Every time he looks at her, she's a reminder that her dad tricked him and deceived him. So I, I kind of get it for him, but still, man, try to be nice or something. I don't know. And then to make it worse, after the week-long wedding feast, what happens? Laban gives your husband your younger, prettier sister anyway. 
So now you're stuck in a marriage. Yay, you're married. You always wanted to be married. But you know your husband doesn't prefer you. He openly loves, he's enamored with, he's crazy for your sister. And she's married to him too. Uh, we mentioned this a few times downtown. Polygamy is in the Bible. Don't do that thing where you're like, polygamy's in the Bible, so it's a good thing, right? No, 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 no. It goes terrible every time. This one's especially painful because they're sisters and they bring all of that sibling rivalry with them into this marriage. And Jacob openly prefers the younger, prettier one. So Leah doesn't even have a chance to make this terrible mess of a marriage work. But she still wants to. She, she wants him to love her, as we're going to continue to see. She longs for him to see her and to cherish her. All right, part one, Leah's lot in life. I don't know, it's, it's terrible. It's awful. The, the Bible does not glamorize it in any way, shape, or form. I appreciate that, that it's honest. Leah's lot, and maybe you relate to this. Maybe you feel like in your life, for whatever reason, you, draw the, you drew the short straw. Maybe you relate to, God, why? Why is this my life? Why are these the cards I was dealt? Why, why is my sister the pretty one? I don't get it. Why is this my face? Why is this my job? Why is this, why are the, I don't know. Maybe you relate. When, when, when you're in that spot, you got different options on how you respond. Let's look at how Leah responds, part two, Leah's solution to her lot in life. Leah's solution to her lot in life. When life gives you lemons, there are different ways you can respond. Leah tries a very traditional solution. If she can't be as good looking as her sister, if she can't be her husband's favorite, she's gonna make herself useful by having kids for him. It's a very traditional solution. Look back at verse 31. We'll see a pattern in these verses. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. Okay, note this. You already did with your mm-hmms, and I love that. In verse 31, who helps Leah get pregnant? God does. God sees her painful situation, and he blesses her. He opens her womb. He gives her the gift of children. But something is a little bit off in how Leah receives that gift, how she interprets it. I don't know if you caught this, but it shows up in how she responds and how she names her kids. So look back at verse 32. What does she name her first son? Reuben, okay? The word Reuben, the name Reuben literally means see a son, seen. It's about eyesight. And she says, God has looked upon me. That sounds good. Is this really about God though? No. God has looked upon me and now Jacob will love me. She says, my boy is seen because God has seen me. But what I really want is for Jacob to see me. It shows up again. Let's see, does it work? Verse 33, what's the name of the second son? Simeon. And what does she say? She says, because the Lord has heard that I am hated. Did it work? No. Did, did Reuben make Jacob love her? No, she's still hated. 
We're going to try it again. We're going back to the same well. We get Simeon now. Simeon means heard. It's about the ears. And she says, God has heard me. But what does she really want? For Jacob to hear her, for Jacob to notice her, for Jacob to see her and to love her. One more time, what does she name her third son in verse 34? Levi. It sounds like the Hebrew word for attached. That's what it means, attached. It's about relational connection and love and attaching yourself to someone and saying, you're my people and I'm with you and we're not two anymore, we're one. What does she say? Now Jacob will be attached to me. She keeps saying, thanks God, but what she really wants is Jacob. What's she doing here? Well, unfortunately, Leah's using her kids She's using her kids to try to get something else that she really wants. Leah feels unseen, unheard, and unloved, not attached or connected to her husband Jacob, so she names her boys seen, heard, and attached. Now, and, and now hear me, she's not doing it right. This is idolatrous. You should not use your kids to try to fill up something else lacking in your life. It's sinful, and also it's understandable, right? She just wants to be loved. She just wants to be seen and heard. She just wants someone in her life to notice her, to care about her, to cherish her. I actually find it really painful when you start to notice how similar Leah and Jacob actually are, right? They, they both grow up with sibling rivalry and a sense of inferiority because they don't measure up to their sibling. They're both chasing after something else to fill up what's lacking in them. Jacob chases after romance. Leah, that doesn't work. She chases after family. I'm going to be a mom. I'll give him kids. Then that'll fill up what's lacking in my life. They're both wrestling. Jacob for a night. Leah for years. Kid after kid after kid. And the truth is, all of us do this. At some level, every one of us in some, at some point in life are going to find ourselves dealing with what Dr. Timothy Keller calls cosmic disappointment. Not just my day didn't go how I wanted, I'm a little disappointed, but a deeper level, a soul level disappointment. I've been chasing this thing in my life for years and I got it now and this is it? I didn't think, I thought, thought it would do something different in me. I thought it would fill something up in me. I, I didn't think it would feel like this. I didn't think it would be like this. I thought it would be better. As, as uh, many pastors and commentators have said, we always go to bed thinking it's Rachel, but in the morning, behold, it's Leah. Which is a painful way to apply that verse, but accurate. I'd like to offer a slight twist on that as well. I wonder if at any point in her life, Leah thought, behold, it's Jacob. What do you mean I'm the disappointment? You scared, cheating, fraud, trickster of a husband running away from his problems, never see me, never hear me, never love me. You're the disappointment. Behold, I'm married to Jacob. Put that in the text. Whether it's behold, it's Leah, or behold, it's Jacob, all of us will have moments in our lives where we deal with this kind of disappointment. Maybe for you, it's like Leah and Jacob. It's romance and marriage. It's just not going how you thought it would. You thought you'd be married by now. You're not. You thought your marriage would be better. It isn't. There's so much conflict and you can't seem to make it stop and you don't know why. You're going, is this it? This is not what I thought it would be. Maybe it's your job. You're just not where you thought you'd be in your career yet. You just thought it would feel different. You thought you would like it. You thought 
your boss would be like a human with a soul. And instead, it's your boss. And maybe it's, behold, <laughs> it's your boss. Uh, maybe it's parenting. This one could be tough to talk about because you love your kids. I know you love your kids, but parenting, sometimes we think it's going to do something for us that it doesn't do. Like, I just didn't know, not me, I love my kids, but maybe you have thought this. <laughs> like, I just didn't know that I would be a glorified chauffeur. And so tired. So tired. Like, it's easy to hate on Laban naming his daughter wearied, but you've lived that day. Maybe you're like Leah, and it's just your overall lot in life, and you just don't get it. You look at your peers, you compare yourself, you look at the cards other people were dealt, and you go, I don't, why me, God? Why is this my life? And there's this cosmic, soul-level sense of disappointment. When the circumstances of our lives aren't what we hoped, we're left with some options. I'm going to go through these quick. It's not enough time. Ask Aunt later. Option one, you can blame what you have and think you need better ones. You can say the problem is my spouse. They're the problem. Married Aaliyah, I really needed to marry Rachel. I'm going to trade this one in and get a better one. That'll fix it. My job is the problem. My house, my car is the problem. Classic midlife crisis stuff. For the younger generation, I'll go ahead and warn you about two that'll be really tempting for you. My city is the problem. I need to move to a cooler city like the one I saw on Instagram. You'll still be you in the new city, I hate to tell you. The other one that comes up all the time, my parents are the problem. And listen, I know your parents were sinful and imperfect. They might have been worse than that. But you blame all your problems on them, you probably won't press into a ton of healing. Option two, you can blame yourself and turn to self-hatred. You can say, well, I guess I'm the problem. I'm just cursed. God doesn't care about me. This is just my life. You can beat yourself, berate yourself internally, physically, however you want. You can try to whip yourself into a better life. Never have peace of knowing who you really are. Option three, you can blame life itself or God or the universe, and you can harden yourself off from ever hoping at all. And you can, we just call it self-protection. I'm just gonna distance myself and I'm not gonna let anyone or anything get in here and give me hope because that way I can never hurt again. And as a pastor who generally speaking loves people and wants well for your life, I don't recommend any of those three. The good news is there's another option. And this is where we get to the third part of the story, part three, Leah's salvation. Leah's salvation. Look back at verse 35. I hope you didn't miss it as we read through it. Look back at verse 35. And she conceived again. It's the same pattern. She conceived again and bore a son. Same pattern, four boys. And said, this time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. If you're reading too fast, you could miss it. If you're reading too fast through this section, you could read that and be like, she had another kid. Guess who's still not gonna care? Jacob, la-di-da, let's move on. Who can No, something huge just happened. Here's why. Who did she not mention at all this time? Didn't even mention Jacob. It's not, hey, God, thank you for the kid. Now Jacob will love me. He's not even in her mind. It's just, this time, God, I'm just gonna praise you. I'm just gonna receive the gift. I'm just gonna be thankful. I'm not using you. I'm not using the gift to try to get something else. I'm good right here, thank you. It's a major change. A view of grace has unlocked in Leah's soul. Um, I want to read you a long quote from a woman named Alice von Hildebrand. I think we got a, yeah, we got a slide. With, that's her face. I like her face. It's, this quote summarizes the shift in Leah so well. 
So Alice was a professor of philosophy in Hunter College in New York. She got into a lot of trouble. I love this woman. I don't know a lot about her, but I love her. She got into a lot of trouble for sharing her faith with her students over and over again um, until eventually she won over her co-faculty and her students because she was just so loving and so honest and direct and so helpful to them that eventually they were just like, well, we know she cares about us. She ended up working at the college for 37 years, even though lots of people tried to get rid of her very early on. Before that, uh, she had fled from Belgium to America in the middle of World War II when Belgium was under threat from Germany. And I can't tell you exactly why. I think it'll make sense as we go, but I think it's important that you see her face as I read you this quote from her. I want you to let this lovely little old white woman, her words of wisdom, just speak so a balm of healing into your soul. Here we go. During the war, I was on the last American ship to leave France and we were arrested by a German submarine. We were given one hour to leave the ship. I was absolutely convinced I was going to die, absolutely. And I had such an overwhelming experience. In a tenth of a hundredth of a second, I saw my life in front of me in the greatest possible detail that you can imagine. It was unbelievable. What did I realize? God has created each person for a purpose. He has his plan of love for you, for me, for everyone. The problem is that we make our own plans we want them to be realized in a certain way and at a particular time. Then we get resentful when our plans don't materialize. Yet you have to come to a place in your life where you can say, you, O oh Lord, you choose for me. St. Teresa of Lisieux said something that has made an enormous impression on me. I like best what God has chosen for me. My goodness, what else do you really want? You know, our choices are sometimes very foolish, but God's choices are always the best ones. I mean, he chose my face. I didn't choose my face. I, I could say to him, I don't have your taste. Because there are people who are so beautiful, you cannot help but say to yourself, I wish I were like that. But God knows what I would have done if I had been given a beautiful face. Everybody would see it, and I would have been put in terrible temptations, thinking of myself as some queen and believing that everything was due to me. With physical beauty, it is too easy to fall in love with yourself like the Greek shepherd Narcissus. On this earth, we have the face God has chosen for us, but I believe that in eternity, you and I are going to have the face that we deserve. Every act of love, every act of virtue, of patience, and of selflessness chisels your face for eternity. Let's go, Ms. Von Hildebrand. Bring it. I don't know if you caught that line right in the middle where she quotes from St. Teresa of Lisieux. She says, I like best what God has chosen for me. That's incredible. The first time I read this quote from Ms. Von Hildebrand, I thought to myself, I have never liked my face more than right now. <laughs> and she, I mean, she just absolutely nails what's happening for Leah in verse 35. Leah has her own plans, her own solutions for her lot in life, her own ways to try to make it go better. But finally, she realizes, this time, I will praise the Lord. This time, I like best what God has chosen for me. She was actually staring the answer in the face the whole time. I don't know if y'all saw this. Look back at verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated. Wait, who saw her? The Lord saw Leah. Leah the unseen? Leah the unnoticed? Leah the unloved? Who saw her the whole time? The Lord did. And she knew it, but she didn't know it. 
Verse 33, how she describes Simeon. The Lord has heard that I am hated. Who heard? The Lord did. Leah the unheard? Leah the discarded? No, the Lord hears her the whole time. Who is loving unloved Leah the whole time? The Lord is. God is. Jacob is hating her. Jacob is despising her. She reminds him that he was deceived by a varsity-level trickster. God is loving her. Laban is getting rid of her. She's a burden to be discarded, like trash. God is cherishing her. God is walking beside her, seeing her, loving her every day. Okay, so, so real quick, I'm gonna, as we conclude, I'm going to do like three things. It's going to be great. Bringing it back real quick to our Ghosts and Ancestors series. I have no idea how the circumstances of your life will go. What I know is that the circumstances of your life have no bearing on whether you will be a ghost or an ancestor. Here's what I mean. The circumstances of Leah's life are very painful, and we have no indication that they ever change. There's no indication in the text that Jacob ever finally comes around and starts to see Leah for the beautiful, wonderful woman she is. There's no indication he ever starts to cherish her or attach himself to her, and yet she is a beautiful ancestor because she learns to trust and praise God no matter what her circumstances are. She learns to say, this time I will praise the Lord. This time she learns how to say, I like best what God has chosen for me. And listen, I'm not trying to hold out on you. If you read on, she still struggles. She's still got unresolved conflict with Rachel that gets worked out in upcoming chapters. She's not perfect. She's not a saint. But at least at this moment, something has clicked in her soul. Something has changed in her and how she views her life and her circumstances. So I don't know how to tell you this in a way that will actually land, but I'm gonna try anyway, okay? And here's what's gonna happen. I'm gonna tell you this thing, and you're gonna hear it, and you're gonna go, I agree with that. And at the same time, it will be un, uh, you'll be un, utterly unable for it to land all the way down in your soul. And me too, I'm with you in it, okay? Y'all ready for that? That sounds great, right? I'm gonna preach you something that you'll agree with and also won't be able to hear. Good times. You constantly overestimate the role of circumstances in your contentment. You do. Your circumstances are not what lead you to contentment. See, your brain's going, yes, I know that. I've heard that before. And our hearts and our souls go, but I ain't gonna live like it tomorrow. I believe it. I can't, I know the answer and I can't, I, but yeah, but no, pastor, you don't know me. And for me, if this thing got better in my life, then I'd be good. I don't know that you would. If you can't be good now in the circumstances here, if you can't know that God sees you, hears you, loves you now, no matter the circumstances, I don't know that you'll really know that then. And the cosmic disappointment we feel at a soul level can only be solved by a cosmic level solution, not a temporary one. Here's what happens. Like we just don't, we, we see it and then we, we, we can't see it. We see it and we're blind. We know that, you know, right? You know this, right? Like I, I'll give you a couple. Um, you look at someone and go, their face is prettier than mine. My life would be better if I had their face. And you know what they're doing? They're looking at someone prettier than them going, their face is prettier than mine. You know what they're doing? Photoshopping, editing, filtering, picking, double filtering. You pick the best picture, then you filter it again. It's double filtered because they don't like their face neither. Oh, look, nobody gets the life they want, not fully. And the ones who get the most of it, they look back at the rest of us and they go, it didn't work. 
Like here's, uh, I don't know if y'all know Jim Carrey or not. Jim Carrey, comedic actor. He was one of my favorites when I was a kid and uh, lived a really interesting life. Um, you should pay attention. I, I find him fascinating. He said this amazingly. He said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. And you're like, yes, yes, Jim, that's right. That's true. But also something else in your soul goes, yeah, but Jim, that's not really fair for you to say because you got to have the circumstances I want. You got to have the opportunity to experience it and decide for yourself whether it was the answer for you or not, Jim. But Jim, you don't get it. I'm different. If I got all the circumstances I want, then I'd be fine. I'm different, Jim. You don't get it. He does get it. You're wrong. We're wrong. We just constantly overestimate the role that circumstances play in our contentment. We can't stop. Some would argue it's a sin problem. Some would argue something's broken in us. The same question in front of Leah is the question in front of us. I'll say it a different way. Your circumstances have almost nothing to do with whether you will be a ghost or an ancestor. How you respond to your circumstances has everything to do. Will you see God in the midst of your circumstances, no matter what they are? Will you see that God sees you and hears you and loves you and wants to attach himself to you and wants to attach yourself to him, no matter what you're going through in life? All right, that's one of the things I want to do. Here's another one. Um, it's interesting because Leah's salvation isn't just that she finally sees God's love in the midst of her painful circumstances. That's a huge part of it. This time I will praise the Lord, but something else happens. God has another gift to bestow on Leah here in verse 35. Her fourth son, what was his name? Judah. That name, I don't know how much, how familiar you are with the Bible, if you've been around a little bit or your whole life, that name might stand out to you. It's a pretty famous name. It's a name that's connected with an even more famous name, Jesus sometimes called the Lion of Judah. I don't have time to get into all of it, Genesis 49. It's, all, it's great, it's beautiful, I just don't have time. Uh, Jesus is the Lion of Judah in part because he comes from the line of Judah. And who's, who's Judah's mom again? I can't remember. Leah? Oh, that's cool. You're telling me Jesus comes from the line of Leah, huh? Leah the unseen? Leah the unheard? Leah the unnoticed and unloved and unwanted? How about try this on for size? Leah, the great, 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 many greats grandmother of Jesus. That's a better name. All right, here's the third thing. They all interweave a little bit. Here's what's cool. Leah's great, 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 many great grandson, Jesus, comes into the world a few thousand years after Leah. And Jesus, the son of God, he's the most beautiful, majestic, radiant anyone who has ever stepped foot on planet Earth but I got a question for you. Did he come physically as a Rachel? Did he come with a beautiful face? Did he come as a stunner? No. Did he come and live a life of easy, comfortable circumstances so that he could be content? No. No, Jesus lives a terrible life of circumstance, painful circumstance. He comes as a Leah. Isaiah 53 says he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He, he lives life on planet earth as the disadvantaged one. He allows himself to be broken. He allows himself to be taken advantage of by the Labans of the world. He draws near to the weak, the outcast, the unseen, the unheard. 
No one in history ever deserved better circumstances than Jesus, and yet Jesus' life on earth is marked by incredibly terrible circumstances. His friends betray him. Those with power plot and scheme against him. They try to be rid of him. Eventually, he's betrayed and brutally murdered. Why? What is God doing in and through the midst of Jesus' circumstances he's showing us? He's preaching to us. He's proving to us that he sees the lowly, that he hears those who feel unheard, that he loves the unlovable, the unloved, the unwanted. He loves the Leahs of the world so much so that his son comes to planet Earth and lives as one. This is the gospel. This is what's available to you in Jesus. In Jesus, you can know forever that God sees you. He hears you. He loves you. And he wants to attach himself to you. He wants to attach you to himself despite the everything about you. Despite your sin, despite your brokenness, despite what's been done to you, despite every painful circumstance that you might have interpreted as something's wrong with me and broken and I'm the problem and God doesn't love me. No, he does. And we know because of Jesus, I don't base my understanding of God's love for me on the circumstances of my life. Please don't do that. It's such a terrible, dangerous way to interpret your life. We base our understanding of God's love for us on the cross of Jesus, where he experienced unbelievable, unimaginably terrible circumstances, the cost of loving you and saving you and forgiving you and welcoming you. I said this earlier, I'll say it again. We have no indication that Leah's circumstances ever change. No indication that Jacob ever comes around and begins to see her and love her and cherish her. But Leah's internal everything changes when she sees God seeing her. When she finally realizes and knows God hears her. When she internalizes at a soul level depth that God loves her and wants her and wants to attach himself to her no matter what her painful circumstances seem to say. She gets to a point where she says, this time I'll praise the Lord. She gets to a point where she says, I like best what God has chosen for me. So even if you hate your circumstances, can you say, this time I will praise the Lord? Even if I don't love my face, yeah, but I like best what God has chosen for me. Even if my whole life hurts, this time I will praise the Lord. Even if I desperately want marriage and it hasn't come yet or it never comes, I like best what God has chosen for me, even if I am married and it is not the happy ever after that I thought it would be. This time, I'll praise the Lord. Even when my kids, my job, my house, my dream vacation all turn out to be unable to fill up what is lacking in my life, I like best what God has chosen for me. I like best what God has chosen for me. Can we get to a point where we learn to trust and submit the circumstances of our lives to his sovereignty and his goodness, and we can trust he sees, he hears, he loves, and that's enough. This time I'll praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, thank you.